morning to everyone. If you have your Bible, please open it to Jonah chapter 4. We're going to be focusing on verses 7 through 11. So I'm going to begin in verse 5. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what would happen to the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, the Lord appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is God's word. Please pray with him for me. Father, as we come to your truth, we uh, pray that your spirit, Father, will come and take this preached word and apply it to my heart and apply it to the heart of everyone that's here, Lord. For we need you, Holy Spirit, to move. You are a counselor. You are the one who will lead us into all truth. And so nothing takes place apart from your power, apart from you moving in our life. You know each of us intimately. You know us. You know the real us. You know the issues behind the mask that we wear day in and day out. And my prayer is that today you will get behind the mask and do business with our heart. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We can hate the deliverance given to other people who we think don't deserve it, while at the same time we rejoice when that same deliverance is given to us because we do think we deserve it. Think about that. We can hate the deliverance given to other people, people who we don't think deserve it, while at the same time when we get that same deliverance, we rejoice because we think we do deserve it. It's human human nature to think Others are less deserving than ourselves. That others are more or less deserving than, than, than ourselves and our family and our lifestyles and our views and our culture. This is what we have with Jonah. He thinks less of Nineveh. That he deserves more than what they deserve. That he deserves compassion and they deserve judgment. That's why on, on one hand he is angry with Yahweh. You see, angry that Yahweh showed compassion to, to the people of Nineveh. But on this hand, he's, all, he's exceedingly glad 
when Yahweh shows him that same compassion. That same compassion. For he deserves it, but they don't. See, Jonah has forgotten that he too was once under the same judgment that he wants to see the people of Nineveh get. He forgets. He was once under that same wrath. His lack of compassion is one of his deep issues. And he doesn't see it yet. And we're no different, you see. We do lack compassion toward people who we think deserve judgment. Toward those we don't like. Toward those who have hurt us and our family. Toward our enemies. Toward those who cause us harm. But thanks be to Jesus that he doesn't leave us in our vice, right? He doesn't leave us where we are. Instead, he shepherds us out of them. Why? Because the Lord God is gracious. The Lord God is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting of disaster. So he's going to faithfully deal with our lack of compassion, just like he deals with Jonah's lack of compassion. Remember, remember when Jonah left the city, did Jonah leave the city happy? When Jonah storms out of Nineveh, is he rejoicing? Is he skipping and singing joyful hymns to God? No, he leaves Nineveh an angry man. Angry. Storms out of the city, goes east of the city. He doesn't walk too far from the city because he still wants the city to be in our sight. So he finds this nice location and he builds himself a booth. He plans to sit under this booth to sit in the shade so he can see what will become of the city. And Jonah's plan is that he hopes to prove that Yahweh is wrong for not overthrowing the city of Nineveh. He sits there hoping that the people mess up. Sits there hoping they fall back into their wicked ways. And then he can pull out his popcorn and watch the the Lord rain down wrath on them. His heart has no compassion. It's filled with judgment. And he hopes the people's repentance isn't genuine. You see? He hopes what took place in Genesis and Jonah 3 isn't real because he wants them to perish. You see, but Jonah, he can't even be comfortable in his anger and his judging because the booth that he builds for himself, it doesn't really shade him enough from the hot sun. So he begins to get physically uncomfortable because of the heat. And this gives Yahweh an opportunity to begin to deal with Jonah's lack of compassion. And Yahweh uses reverse psychology to prove his point with Jonah, to show him his lack of compassion, to open his eyes to his heart issue. It's similar to what the prophet Nathan did to King David to help David see his sin. So the Lord begins by supernaturally intervening and intervening in Jonah's physical discomfort. And as you know from last week, he intervenes through a plant. A plant. And if you remember from last week, he causes this plant to grow over Jonah's head to shade him from his discomfort. The plant rescues Jonah. It saves him. It rescues him. And the plant is Yahweh's compassion to Jonah, even though Jonah doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve the compassion, but Yahweh gives it to him anyway. And what is Jonah's response? Oh, he's happy. 
He's overflowing with joy. He's exceedingly glad because of the plant. He's covered. He's comfortable. He's content underneath the plant. And the question I have for you is, is what are the tangible plant coverings that Yahweh has given to you in your life? What, what, what has he caused to grow over your life that now shades you from some discomfort? What has Jesus brought into your life? Relational comfort? See, we all have financial discomfort, emotional discomfort, even marital discomfort, relational discomfort, job discomfort, housing discomfort, educational discomfort. And sometimes our discontent in these things are self-inflicted because of our own choices now. And sometimes you don't always get what you deserve because someone in power had compassion on you. We all have had someone show us compassion. If you're a student, sometimes you don't get the grade you deserve because your teacher had compassion on you. Spouses, husbands, wives, kids, you know something about compassion. Sometimes your parents don't give you what you deserve because they give you compassion. This is what has taken place with Jonah. He's getting compassion, and he's happy about it. He's filled with so much joy and contentment that he actually sleeps under the tree now. He falls asleep on the tree. See, he never leaves this spot that he found east of Nineveh. He stays there all night long, still waiting to see what's going to happen to the city. And the image of Jonah sleeping beneath this plant, it should, be, should bring you back to the first chapter in the book where he's sleeping underneath the deck of the ship. You see? The picture you have is, is, is there is that Jonah is sleeping and resting in his careless self-security and self-significance. And that is what is happening here. He's unaware of what Yahweh is actually doing to him. It's reverse psychology. That's what it is. Yahweh is getting ready to pull the rug from under his feet. The Lord is getting ready to touch his heart. You see, Jonah's physical discomfort is not his true issue. He has a spiritual discomfort as well. He has a heart issue, and his heart lacks compassion for people he doesn't like, for people who he thinks deserves judgment. You see, the Lord, I think the Lord is sometimes a comedian, but because he lets Jonah rejoice over the plant, you see. He lets him have his time in the sun. He lets Jonah be glad. He lets Jonah take his nap, but oh, in the morning, in the morning, things are going to be different. The Lord is going to supernaturally intervene a second time. The Lord is going to flip the strip on Jonah in the morning. Verse 7 says, but when dawn came up the next day, the Lord appointed a worm. He appoints a tiny little worm before sunrise, before at first light. He ordains it. He controls it. For what purpose? You see, what's the purpose of the worm? The, the plant, you see, came to save Jonah for his discomfort. Now, the worm is appointed for a whole different reason. He's going to interrupt Jonah's newfound comfort, his newfound contentment, his newfound joy. The worm is going to interfere with this so-called careless significance and security. Verse 7 says, again, the Lord appointed a worm that attacked the plant. The tiny worm attacks the plant that covers Jonah and saves Jonah. The, worm, the plant is spitting 
by the worm. So much so that the worm, the plant withers. The plant dies. And many of you know what a plant looks like when it dies, right? The leaves turn brown and they droop. They droop. They shrivel up and die. The plant is gone. And all this takes place while Jonah is contently asleep. But eventually his sleep is interrupted. You see, without the leaves, you can't, you can't shade out the sun. You can't shade out the sun. So when the sun comes up the next day, the, the, the sunlight shines on Jonah's face and it probably wakes him up. Then he wakes up and he starts rubbing his eyes and then he looks around and he sees his little plant is gone. Like, what happened? What's going on? And he wonders what has happened to the plant. Who killed the plant? And so all this joy and, and gladness that they had the day before is gone. Or, in the words of B.B. King, the thrill is gone. It's gone. It's gone for Jonah. But not for Yahweh because Yahweh isn't done yet. He still hasn't reached his heart yet. Because what Yahweh is doing is, is that he's digging through the external to get to the internal of his heart. And that's what he does with us. He digs through the in external to get to your heart. Sometimes he takes stuff away. And when he takes stuff away, he's supposed to get your attention then. Then you start to wake up. Then you start to say, I guess I can take the Lord serious now. So first, he, the plant comes to save Jonah. Second, the worm attacks the plant. And thirdly, there's another way the Lord intervenes in Jonah's life. He intervenes with a scorching east wind. Verse 8, when the, when the sun rose, the Lord appointed a scorching east wind. East wind, And this wind should sound familiar too because guess what, he, what else God did in chapter 1? He brought another wind, a, a wind upon the sea and created a perfect storm. This phrase, east wind, is mentioned 21 times in the Old Testament. 21 times in the Old Testament. It's used in Exodus 10 13 when God brought judgments on Egypt. Moses uh, stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all day and all night. And when in the morning the east wind brought the locusts, the east wind also brought deliverance to, to the people of Egypt because remember, the Red Sea was parted by east wind. In Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 18, 17, the east wind is used for discipline and judgment of his own people. It says, like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of calamity. So this east wind and this worm here serve the same purpose. It is Yahweh's discipline to Jonah. Please know, the Lord loves you. But he will also discipline you. Just like you discipline your kids. The Lord disciplines his. Right? He does. He does. The text describes this east wind as scorching. It means it's, it's a hot wind. It's not a, a cool wind. It's a hot wind. So basically the humidity rises on Jonah. And if you know anything about the humidity, it impacts how sweat evaporates from your body. And so if it's hot outside, if it's really humid outside, your body does not cool off. You feel, you're hot. You burn. You get sunburned. 
And so if the humidity is too high, sometimes that can lead to a heat stroke. It can lead to cramps, fatigue, numbness, faintness. This is what Jonah is experiencing here. The Lord raises the humidity on Jonah, and it starts to impact him. Verse 8, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. Beat down on the head of Jonah, like the drum over here. Beat down. And that Hebrew verb for beat down is the same verb that is used for attack as well. Like the plant being smitten by the worm, Jonah's been smitten by the sun. He's been disciplined. And the text says, so Jonah was faint. He was feeble. He was dizzy. He was lightheaded. Maybe even having a heat stroke. What's the point? The point is that Jonah was one time on a mountaintop. Now he's down in the valley low, people. The Lord has brought him down to the valley. Down to the valley. And one commentator says, Jonah's quick joy. Jonah's joy quickly is swallowed up in complete exhaustion. It is gone. It is gone. It is gone. And so much so, he says, I wish I could die. I wish I could die. It's better for me to die than to live. And Jonah is back where he was at the beginning of the chapter, wanting to die again. He's back in anger. And remember when I said Yahweh is flipping the strip on Jonah, his reverse psychology, he's doing this to reach his heart, which lacks compassion. He wants Jonah to see his issue. So the Lord, he eventually joins Jonah in the valley. The Lord joins you in the valley now, okay? When he brings you there, he joins you. Now he joins Jonah in the valley. He asks Jonah the same question he asked him earlier. He says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you do well to be angry? Basically, are, are you, or is your anger justified here, Jonah? And Jonah thinks it's justified. And so in anger and his sense of entitlement and self-righteousness, he says, yes. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Now, now listen, this, he's not talking gently to God. He's yelling at him. Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. That's his attitude. That's where he is. He thinks it's justifiable. And somehow, he is being treated unjustly. Yahweh is treating me unjustly. But in verses 10 through 11, Yahweh finally calls Jonah out for his lack of compassion. The Lord said, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. For the first time in the book, Jonah actually has pity, had compassion and concern over something perishing. For the first time, he has pity. It's not for people. It's for a plant. Not for people. It wasn't for the sailors on the ship. It wasn't for the people of Nineveh. But it was a plant. A plant. Think about that. A plant. A plant that he benefited from. A plant that he believed he deserved. A plant that he believed he's entitled to. And this is us. 
This is the church in America. What we pity the most are the things that we lose that we benefit from. That's what we pity the most. Things that we think we deserve, things we feel entitled to. And people are often more compassionate to lesser things than they are to other people. Our material stuff, our finances, our image, our social issues, our culture, our church building, our pew in the church building, our yard, our garden, our car, our politics. And if I haven't hit yours yet, I will. We all have these lesser things that if we lose them, then all of a sudden we're compassionate people. Because we lost things that we benefit from. But what about the people you see every day? Are you as just compassionate on them? Yahweh wants Jonah to see if he can have compassion on a plant, a plant that he didn't even cause to grow, then how much more should Yahweh have compassion on a group of people who are spiritually dead? How much so? Do you have as much compassion on people as you do for the lesser things of life? As much as you do for your plant covering that Yahweh can take away from you anytime. I recently listened to a TED talk by Gary Hogan, and it's called The Hidden Reason for Poverty That the World Needs to Address. You see, Mr. Mr. Hogan is a, a civil rights lawyer. And in 1994, he was the United Nations Director of Investigation to the Genocide in Rwanda. I want you to listen carefully to his words, and I'm quoting him. He says, it turns out that tears aren't very much help when you're investigating a genocide. The things I I saw and felt and touched were pretty unspeakable. What I can tell you is this that the Rwandan genocide was one of the world's greatest failures of simple compassion. The word compassion, which actually comes from two Latin words, cum passio, which simply means to suffer with. And the things that I saw and experienced in Rwanda as I got up close to human suffering, it did, in moments, move me to tears. But I just wish that I and the rest of the world had been moved earlier, not just to tears, but to actually stop the genocide. True compassion is more than just tears and heartfelt feelings for the sufferings of other people, but compassion should move you to action if it's true compassion. It means to do something. Compassion is about people. It's not about issues or a policy, or a thing. It's about people. And the reality is that you won't have true suffering with compassion for other people if all you see in them are those people. Those people over there. That's the fact of it. If they all, that's those people, those people who are different than you, those people who are less than you, those skinheads, those thugs, those racists, those lazy bums, those self-righteous rich people, if all they are is that, then you ain't going to have compassion for them. If all people are beneath you, 
If those people are inhumane, if all they are is criminals, if all they are is Democrats, and all they are is Republicans, then guess what? We ain't going to have compassion on them. People are more than the stereotypes we define them by. More than the labels we placed on them. They are more than their addictions. They are more than their successes and failures. They are more than their economic status. They are more than the color of their skin. They are more than their brokenness. People are image bearers of God, just like you. And they deserve dignity, respect, and self-worth because of it. And we can't expect the government to show them that. It's the church's job to show them that. A compassionate heart will see a fellow human being as someone that is created in the image of God. The image of God. You see, compassion moves us beyond what I call judgment at first sight. Because that's what we do. We judge people at first sight. It brings you to a place of understanding. Gee, there's a story behind every person. There's a story behind how they got where they are. Do you know that? If you see someone on the street that's homeless, there's a story about how that person got there. When you see the chaos in Baltimore, there are stories behind that. Stories behind that. But do you care about the stories? When you see the brokenness in the world, there are stories, people. There are stories. Just like there are stories behind how you got to where you are. There's a story. But Jesus listened to your story. He listened to your story. Compassion wants to hear the person's story. Not just see them and judge them because of where they are and what they're doing. You want to know why they got there, how they got there, and maybe how God can use you to give them freedom from their brokenness. The Lord says to Jonah, Should I not pity Nineveh? For there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left hand. That's the state of our country. That's the state of our city, your neighborhood, your school. There's plenty of people there who don't know their right hand from their left hand. But do you care? Or is it it's just those people and somebody else can deal with it? There are lost people in our city in our country, in our state. And it's a challenge for us as, a, as believers, as a church, as a church in America, who are we willing to suffer with in order to win that person for Christ? Who are you willing to suffer with in order to win that person for Christ? What enemy are you willing to suffer with to hopefully win that person for Christ? Who? If not who, who? Who are you willing to do that with? Because remember, Jesus did that for you. He did. Are you willing to suffer with the person who has gender issues in order to win that person for Christ? Are you willing to suffer with the unbeliever, the thug, the criminal? Who are you willing to suffer with? Now, compassion is not divorced of justice. Instead, it makes it compassionate justice, you see. It makes it compassionate justice. Yesterday, after the church picnic, I uh, went to Starbucks by Costco to uh, uh, finish my sermon. 
I went, got there about 6 o'clock, and when I got out of my car, I noticed this gentleman sitting there uh, at a table. He was looking at his phone. He had, all this, he had a bicycle and all this stuff scattered out on the table. And at the, at the moment, I just didn't pay any attention because, you know, I'm focused. I got to get the sermon done. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And so I just went into Starbucks, ordered me a coffee, and I sat down, and, and I started working. And I didn't leave there until like 10.45. So I was there a long time. And when I walked out of the uh, Starbucks, the guy was still there in the same spot. He hasn't left either. And so as I was putting my bags in the car, he asked me a strange question. Now it's almost 11 o'clock at night now. And he said, would you like some bananas? I was like, bananas? <laughs> he said, I got I these whole box of bananas here. I'm not going to eat them all. No, would you like some? I was like, man, it's 11 o'clock at night. The guy want to give me bananas? <laughs> and then I was going to tell him, no, no, it's, I need to get home. I'm tired. But the spirit said something. Alex, go take the bananas. So I, put my, I left my bags there. I went up, got a couple of bananas, and then we started talking. He told me about his life. He told me about his struggles. He told me about his issues. And I asked him, I said, what has got you through this stuff? And he said, my faith in Jesus has got me through this stuff. You see, all that started because of bananas. Because I was headed home. But Yahweh gave me an opportunity to engage this man. And we had a great conversation. I was able to help him get a room for the night, and hopefully I'm able to help him get some other things that he needs. But it, it happened because Yahweh used bananas to get me to come over to engage him. What people want, they don't necessarily want you to fix them, but they want you to treat them with dignity. And don't look down upon them. Me taking those bananas was me hopefully showing I'm not better than you, brother. I'm just like you. And so God will give you opportunities to extend compassion to people. But we have to take them. Will you take them? And the reason you take them is you've got to realize that Jesus has been compassionate to you. He's given you compassion that you do not deserve. And because of that, you're able to extend that to other people even to people who you don't think deserve it. Let us pray. Father God, it's easy for me to pat myself on the back about last night, but there, for that opportunity, there have been 10 other opportunities when I didn't do it. And so, let me come down from my high horse. And my prayer for myself and for all of us that when we have these opportunities, Lord, to extend your love to others, as insignificant as it, may, as it may be, it's still us loving others as you have loved us. And so as a, a church, as a, a local body here in this city, make us compassionate people, Lord, that we will have, we will have compassionate justice, Lord. Only the Spirit can do that in us. These are not things that we can just write in our daytime or in and all of a sudden think it's going to come on. These things come through repentance, through us crying out to you to change our hearts 
These are heart issues, not behavior issues. They're heart issues. And Holy Spirit, you are the perfect heart surgeon. And so you come in and do in us what we cannot do in ourselves, and that is give us a heart of Christ for a broken and down world. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand as we close our service.